Hello, this is Jensen Franklin, and thank you so much for joining us for this week's podcast. Our goal is to provide you with biblically-based teachings that will challenge, inspire, and equip you to live for Jesus. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead and subscribe today to this podcast so you can get the latest updates from us and you don't ever have to miss a new message. Let's go right into the service, recorded at Free Chapel. I believe it's gonna bless you today. Genesis 26, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him there and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I have put you. Verse three, dwell in this land. I will be with you. I will bless you for you and your descendants. I'll give you these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 6, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land. What land? The land that was in famine. And reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It's a good one. Well, that was just in his soul. Verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds, great number of employees. I love this part. And the Philistines envied him, the ungodly. So I want to talk to you about what to do when you get in a famine, when things dry up, when you're going through a tough time. I want to show you something in the scripture. When we talk about famine, uh, we really don't understand in the blessed state that we're in in America what a famine is. I, I survey this group here. I don't see anybody in a famine. I hear you saying I might starve to death because he's going to preach a long time, but you're not going to starve to death. You don't look like you're starving. When when you're starving, your belly's swollen. I held a baby's. We went in after the the earthquake in in Haiti, and there were families there that had not eaten for three weeks, and there was a little, many little babies. I held one of the babies and prayed for it. His belly was swollen. Their hair turns orange. Someone who's starving, their hair turns orange and belly way out here and it was just oh it's just unbelievable flies and when i think of famine the, it's not just the uh hunger that kills people in a famine many times it's the disease that comes as a result the the uh water the the unsanitary conditions just it's it's it's, it's horrible it's horrible usually there are two things that cause a famine usually it's either war or it's weather related And they were in that kind of famine, swollen bellies, uh, disease, people dying, crops failing, everything. Nobody had food. Nobody had nothing. And God said to Isaac, stay right where you are. Don't go anywhere. 
Now, this is in contrast, and I want to leave that story, and we're going to come back to it in just a minute. I'm going to take you on a little trip to two other stories in the Bible that go right with it, and then we'll end. I want you to see the, the contrast between him obeying God and staying in a place that God said, it's your land, I've given it to you, this is yours, and just because you're in a famine, you don't walk away from it. Just because it's not producing for you right now, you don't quit, pack your bags, and go somewhere else that looks better. You stay right where you are. I'm giving you a stay here command, God said to Isaac. I don't want you to do like your father, Abraham. I don't want you to do like Naomi. Naomi got in a famine. We're told about it in the book of Ruth. And the Bible said that she was in the city and in the place the, the Holy Land, she was in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. But it seems like there's something wrong with that, that the house of bread would be breadless. And she was without bread, and there was a famine in Bethlehem, and she and her husband and her two sons and their wives left Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they went to Moab, which was a city, listen to this, 25 miles away. Now, I realize they didn't have transportation like us, but 20, that, that's like from here in Gainesville, Georgia, to Lawrenceville, Georgia. That, that's not very far. And that, it's a very logical thing that you're in famine and people are starving to death and, 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 and there's no food and everybody's going. All the other families have gone. So, so Naomi, why don't you and your husband and your sons and their wives pack your bags and go to Moab? And that's exactly what they did. They went to Moab, but when they got there, they found out and heard that there was bread in Bethlehem. See, when, when you're in Bethlehem, God's house, and, there's, and it's breadless, and there will be famines, I don't care how blessed and called you are to a place, a business, a marriage, a, a job, a calling. There are times when you go through leanness. There's times when you go through hardship. There's times when you go through battles and you have to persevere. You have to, it's hard, it's tough. We, we are so quick to jump ship and hop over somewhere else that looks so much better that we don't ever stay where God told us to stay. And so in that land, in that marriage, in that business, in that place, we're always looking for something way out there that's easy and go get it quick, get rich quick, and we don't understand that all the things that you need, God has given you if you'll sow into that land. But she gets over here in Moab, she gets in Moab, which was a cursed place, by the way. She left a type of God's house, and, and, and sometimes even in God's house, you go through a famine, you go through dryness, you can't hear God, you can't feel God, you come to free chapel, and you don't get much out of it. That breaks my heart, hurts my feelings, but it's the truth. You sit there, and it's just another service because you just aren't feeling God. You just aren't getting it. Something feels dry, but what do you do in the time of famine when you know this is your house of bread? Listen to me. When the house of bread is breadless, Stay there until the bread comes back. Because if you can ever find a place that ever fed you, that God put you in, it's a matter of time before the bread comes back. But sometimes God will let you go through famine to prove you, to test you, to see what is in your heart. And the Bible said when they went to Moab, her husband died, her two sons died. And she says, I'm, I'm bitter and just let me die. 
But her daughter-in-law, the only one left that stayed with her, the other one left, said, there's bread in Bethlehem. Let's go back. But notice that in famine they left and they traded three funerals for one famine. Sometimes it's better to stay in the house. My, my worst day in the house of God is better than my best day in the world. And you know what? I may be going through things, and sometimes we feel like that. Listen to me, young people. Sometimes it'll look like everything out there in Moab is fun, and there's no shortage of, of fun and music and party and, and all kinds of stuff going out there. And here I am in the house of God. When I first got saved, it was exciting, but now things are dried up and no big miracles. I'm just, what do you do? You take the Word of God in that land, sow it into your life, sow it into your life, sow the dreams of God in, get in services like this let him so and if you'll stay in God's house even when it's breadless there will come a time when it'll come back listen to this a hundredfold you can't get the hundredfold unless you make it through a famine in that land that was famine is the land that brought forth a hundredfold I think we need to understand what the scripture says in Proverbs 17 and 24. Wisdom is before the eyes of him who has understanding. But to the eyes of a fool, they're on the ends of the earth. Listen to that scripture. It says that wisdom is before the eyes of him who has understanding. Another way of saying that is when you're a wise person, you begin to appreciate the people that you have around you. You begin to appreciate the things that you have around you. But the fool, his eyes are upon the ends of the earth. If I had that, if I could go over there, if I, could, if I was in L.A., if I was in Chicago, if I could go, and they never see what they have. If I had that man and not this man, if I had that girl and not this girl, if I had that woman, she doesn't have the problems that this woman has. You are stupid. They all have problems. You're, going, you're just going to trade out problems. So into that land. So into that marriage. So into that. Why don't, why don't you, instead of having an affair, having an affair with your wife and go off on a weekend, why don't you sow into that land when it's in a famine? It can produce a hundredfold. That can produce divorce and attorneys and matrimony and all that other stuff. So into that land. But... But see, the fool, his eyes are on the ends of the earth. But the wise person, their eyes notice what is around them, value what you have, appreciate what you've got. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A fool's always thinking, if I could just get over there, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that break, if somebody just discover me, if somebody, oh, I tell you, if I just had that, if I could just live over there, and you don't appreciate nothing you've got. I, I, have, I, have, I have fantasies like of one day leaving all of this. And I watch that show about Alaska a lot, those, that family that lives in Alaska. <laughs> Because people are the problem. People are always the problem. If I didn't have any people around me, I would be, I'd be a happy guy. People are, people are the problem. 
Now, I watch that. Sharice gets on. She says, why do you watch the dumbest shows on TV? Because I love those, those people that move somewhere five, out in the middle, 5,000 acres. And they build a house and live off. And I fantasize in my mind, one day I'm going to do that and build a little church in the Wildwood. And it'll never have over 30 members, maybe 50 on, at Christmas and Easter. And, and that's going to be my, that's my little fantasy. Somebody said, I want a big church. Big church, big problems. More churches, more problems. Never stops. People are the problem. God, God, God put the universe, the stars, the moon, the sun in place, put it in orbit, and it's never given him a problem. God put the fish in the water and put the bird in the sky and put the beast in the field. They stay in their place and never give him a problem. God put two people in a garden and said, stay, don't t go over there and touch that. People are the problem. Noah never had a, had a problem getting the animals on the ark. All of them, just all of them, even the mosquitoes. Let's go, let's do what God wants. But the people are the problem. Couldn't get but eight, and that was his own family, kicking and dragging. People, turn to somebody and say, you are the problem. <laughs> I, the eyes of a fool are always on the ends of the earth. Well, if I could just get over there, if I could go there, if I could get him, if I had her, if I had that, if I had this house and that and this and that. You just change problems. If I could get this and get that, it's funny. People who live in the country, they get sick of it and want to move to the city. I'm moving to the city. I'm tired of cutting this grass. I'm tired of fixing these fences. I'm tired of these chickens and these cows. They're getting on my nerves. I'm moving to the city. And the people in the city, there's somebody in the city sitting there saying, I am so sick of this traffic. I'm so sick of these horns beeping. I'm moving to the country and getting me some acres. And they both pack their their U-Haul, and on the, one on their way to the country and one on their way to the city, pass each other by thinking, if I can just get where they are, I'll be happy. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth and never see what you got all around you. Got to learn to value what God gives you. That's how some of you are about a church. You're a church hopper. Oh, yeah. You're a church hopper. You just hop from church to church. You stay there as long as you... You never sow into that place in the time of famine. You, you, as long as you go from blessing to blessing, you never get planted, you never get rooted, you never get, you never get discipline about you to come when you feel it, come when you don't. Just keep sowing into that land. It's not fun sometimes. It's not exciting. Don't feel much. I'm just doing what God said do. Get up, family. We're going to God's house. And you do it consistent. And as you sow into that land, look out. There's a harvest for you and your descendants in that land, but you just hop around. Oh, let's go over there. Where are we going today? We're going anywhere? Anytime your children ask you, are we going to church? It means you're backslid. In other words, they're saying, well, we, sometimes we go, sometimes we don't. Maybe we mill, maybe we won't. Maybe we just won't because mom and dad, you know, it is up for question. I'm losing more people by the second, but I'm sowing into the land of famine right now. I'm doing it. Come on, I'm preaching. The Bible said not only Naomi went to Moab and tragedy hit her life, but Abraham got in a famine 
And the Bible said in the time of famine, he left the promised land and went to Egypt. Took his wife, Sarah, she's 90 years old. And this, I don't understand this part of the story, but it's in the Bible, so it's gotta be true. She's 90 years old, and he was worried that the men in Egypt were gonna hit on her and wanna marry her. Read your Bible. And he said, you're gonna have to lie and tell them I'm your brother, and if they want you, they'll kill me. What a, what a, what a, what a sorry. Uh, this is Abraham, you know, but, but, but he wasn't being a good husband right there. Come on, give me an amen. He said, lie, and, and if it comes down to them killing me, uh, you just lie for me. And sure enough, he's 90 years old. Now, if you have a wife that is 90 years old and people are winking at her, men are hitting on her, and men are whistling when she walks by and she's 90 years old, you got something very special. Your eyes don't need to be on the ends of the world when you got something that special that the king of Egypt wanted her and put her in his harem and was going to get with her. And God gave him a dream and said, if you touch her, you're a dead man. And he said, get out of my house. And so he felt bad. He felt bad because he, and he should, that he did his wife wrong. So he thought I'll get her a gift, some kind of personal gift. You know how men, we're good at that for Christmas and things. I know what she'll like. I'll get her a vacuum cleaner. She would love that new washer and dryer. I know she would love it. You know what he bought her to make up to her? A handmaiden. That was back then. They didn't have vacuum cleaner. But back, she, she was somebody who, who fixed her hair. She'll fix your hair and make you a bubble bath and, 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 and clean, cook and clean, clean the house up and help you with the children. And, and she, she'll, uh, you know, she'll, she'll do all these things. She'll put a little man on your pillow at night and fold it down and take good care of you. Her name was Hagar. This happened in Egypt when he left the promised land in famine. One trip to Egypt. Everybody say one trip to Egypt. One trip to the world, and he picks up a girl named Hagar. Later, his wife says, sleep with him and produce a child that I can't seem to produce. And they have a son named Ishmael. From that comes the Arab nations. And one trip to Egypt, every time you see the soldiers in body bags coming back from the Middle East, it goes back to one trip to Egypt that he took in famine. Every time you see ISIS, every time you see the attack on 911 on the trade centers, it all goes back to one trip to Egypt when he stood, should have stayed in the house where God had put him and sown in the time of famine. Some of you, 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 your eyes are on the ends of the world. If I could just go there in your marriage and everything else, and the truth is you ought to be sowing into what God has given you, and in that ground is a hundred times greater joy than you'll ever get with one trip to Egypt. Come on, say amen, somebody. The results of one trip to Egypt are enormous. When I think about the Lord, listen to this. God uses less than perfect places in our life to do something famine. He does something in famine that feasting cannot do for us. God uses less than perfect places. 
He says, I'm telling you, Isaac, I'm telling you now, God shifts it. Now we're back to the story and I'm going to close it in a minute. But he says, Isaac, I don't want you to do like your daddy did. I don't want you to do like Naomi did. I want you to stay in this land. Don't go nowhere. I know it's not a perfect place. I know it's not beautiful as Egypt always. See, Egypt had a river, so they never had a famine. And, and, and the enemy wants to show you the glitz and glamour of the world and says, if you just go do that. But the truth is, sometimes it's better when you're in a famine to stay right here and I'll sow the word and I'll sow the truth into my life. And I may not be prospering right now. And all my friends have gone over there and they're doing just fine without God and doing just fine without the word and all this discipline and trying to live for Jesus. But I'm telling you that that there's something about sowing into your life when you're in a famine. Sow into that ground. God told Isaac, remain right here. I want you to stay in this place. The word, the word gerar means dr to drag off roughly and to chew up. I'm, I'm telling you that my will for you is not easier, better, more comfortable. I'm telling you to stay in gerar. Well, what is that? It's a place where they're going to drag you off roughly. They're going to treat you ugly. They're going to chew you up and spit you out. And oh, by the way, you're in a land that the Philistines are all around you. There's warlike people all around you. And it'd be so much easier just to leave and to go over here to Egypt where everything looks fun. But I want you to stay right there where you get drugged off roughly, where you get drug off roughly, where you get chewed up, spit out, where you're going through all kinds of stuff and everybody over there that ain't even living for God, don't even try to live for God. They're doing so good and here you are getting chewed up and spit out and drug off roughly and treated wrong and warlike people all around you. Anybody ever felt that way as a Christian, as a believer? You don't quit. You don't go back to the addiction. You don't go back to the alcohol. You don't go back to the drugs. You don't go to another lover. You don't get out of there. You stay in the house of bread, and bread will come again even when it seems like it's breadless. You stay there. Plant there. Sow there. And the Bible said that he sowed. He sowed in that land. What land? The famine. Dust bowl. Can you see him hitching up the can you see him hitching up the mill and the plow? Hadn't rained in weeks, months, years. And this crazy man takes the only valuable possession that he has left, a hand handfuls of hope, seeds, his family, what he does with those seeds. Is going to determine if his family lives or dies. And he hitches that mule and that plow and starts plowing that old dry ground. It, it has no moisture at all. It's like a dust bowl dust. If you'd look from an advantage point, you'd see dust just coming up. And he's out there whistling like a crazy farmer. He's plowing with the mule. He's taking the seed and kicking the, kicking the dirt on top of the seed and kicking it and dropping it behind that plow. And everybody's thinking he's crazy. All of his friends have left, but God told him to stay there. I'm saying to you that Jesus Christ was a root out of dry ground. And some of the greatest things God will do in your life is not when you're on top of the mountain and everything's blessed, but some of the greatest things God will do for you is if you learn to stand in the middle of the famine and keep sowing the truth of God's word until you see it break through. 
He located Lazarus on the fourth day when he was smelling of decay. He found David on the backside of a desert. God works in unusual places, surprising places. He found Moses in the desert. He found Job in the trial. He found the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He found Daniel in the lion's den. He found Elijah under a juniper tree trying to kill himself, suicidal, wanting to die. He found Jeremiah in a pit, Peter in a prison, and Paul in a storm. And God said, I use surprising places to bring my glory glory out of them. And if he's got you in one, don't run. Don't, 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 don't pack your bag. Stand and sow into that land. Do the best you can with what you've got. And God is faithful. I need everybody to take a praise break. If Jesus was a root out of dry ground, he can make you one. Come on, take a moment and praise him. I'm almost done. Praise him. Now here's my question for you. If you missed everything, get this. How well do you respond to the stay here command? Even when you don't understand and even when you're praying and nothing's happening and there's no breakthrough, how well do you respond to God's stay here command? Because that's the only place you can get a hundredfold is when you stay and everybody else leaves. God doesn't want you to be like everybody else. How do you respond when God says, stay right here, don't leave, don't move, stand still? No clouds, no rain, no nothing, stand still. Everybody else is left, stand still, right here, stay where you are. I'm preaching to some Isaacs whose eyes are on the ends of the world, and God says everything you dream of is right in where you are if you would just sow into it. I could see him. I love it because the Bible said that when he sowed into, everybody say that land. <laughs> when he sowed into that land, not, he didn't sow into what he wished it was. He didn't sow into what he, it ought to be. He didn't sow into, I, I wish it was this and it ought to be that. You sow into what you have. And the Bible said he reaped a hundredfold in that land. He reaped, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Can you see him? For every seed he dropped in that dusty ground, God gave, he, I could see him making those rows and, 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 and dropping, dropping corn seeds and green bean seeds and potato seeds and Tomato seeds, and preach it like I want to. Okra seeds, and you hungry yet? Cornbread seeds, I don't know wherever that comes from. But he was dropping all those seeds. And he comes back, and in that land, for every seed of corn he dropped, he has a hundred corn stalks. In that land. I could see him eating. Don't you know? And the Bible said the Philistines envied him. Can you imagine him getting that hundredfold harvest of tomatoes? Drop for every seed, a hundred tomatoes. For every seed, for every, for every piece of okra seed. Do they have seeds? Every seed, I don't know. But whatever, all that stuff. Farmers, give me some help out there. My God. I, I could see him. I, I, I could see the green beans on the oven. 
he broke the snaps and put some new potatoes in there and put just a little bit of water, don't put too much, and put some Joel fat back or, 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 or uh, put some of that uh, bacon in there. And, and, and he's got that going. He's got, the, he's got the boiling pot of those big old ears of corn that were just uh, look like ba little Louis Slugger baseball bats. I could see him, and he's sitting up there and, and sitting on his porch, and the Philistines are riding by. He looks like he's a, on, like one of those old-fashioned typewriters. And that, the corn's just flying up, getting in his eyebrows, all in his head. My little grandson, he loves corn on the cob. And she'll give him some corn on the cob. And I picked him up the other day and kissed him on the head. And I had a piece of corn on, on the top. He just gets it. It just goes up everywhere. Hallelujah. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is he will bless you in that place if you will sow into that place. He stayed where he was. He endured the famine. Perseverance. Per means through severe. Perseverance. You got to get perseverance just because it gets tough. Just because you're in a place where your dream isn't happening like you thought it would work. And, and now the business is struggling and stuff. You have to, you have, to have perseverance through severe times, through hard times, through trials, through hardships. You go on through. You sow the word, sow encouragement, get in a good church like this, sow it into your life and it'll get you through those hard times. And if you hold on, God is faithful. And he reaped a hundredfold. He reaped a hundredfold. Something powerful when people say, I'm putting my foot down, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to hop to another job. This is it. I'm going to make it happen. That's powerful. I want to close with this true story. The Civil War came late and hard to southern Louisiana. A dozen years before the Civil War, a soldier returned from Mexico and he gave some dried peppers to a man by the name of, a, uh, of Edmund McKinney. Dried peppers. Nobody in southern Louisiana had, had ever tasted, this food came from Mexico, and nobody had ever tasted these hot peppers. And the man loved them so much, he lived on a place called Avery Island in south Louisiana, it still exists today, major tourist attraction today. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. And he planted, he took some of the seeds and planted those peppers among his vast garden and harvest. And he loved that taste. He loved it. And he and his wife had a salt mining business because Avery Island is on a, on a salt dome. But when the Civil War came, he and his family and all the families on that island fled to other places, mostly Texas. And they left that, and when the war took place, it was an area where the war really got rough, and they, they burned his farm down, everybody else's farm. There were, the fields were wiped out. The, it, was, it was nothing but total devastation. They came back after the war, and he's doing a survey of what he has. His house is burned down. His fields and crops are all gone. Everything is torn down. The fences, it's everything. It's just devastation. And all of the other people on the island left. They went to New Orleans. They went to other places, other cities. There's nothing here. It's a salt dome, and there's no life here. But this guy wouldn't leave. 
His crops are ruined. His house is plundered. Everything is gone. Everything was dead except in the overgrown fields of peppers. Those hot peppers survived. And they spread like weeds. And they were all over the place. And it was the only thing that would grow. So he said, well, let's see. I've got plenty of salt. I've got peppers in abundance. And he found some French vinegar in an old whiskey barrel that had been kept for three years. And he took that old vinegar, mixed it with the peppers and the salt into a special recipe, making a hot sauce that nobody had ever tasted in that whole region of the world. And it was so good that he told his wife, and she agreed, this is good stuff, and they started putting it on everything. And one day, he went to the city dump and was going through trash, and he found 350 perfume bottles, little glass perfume bottles. He took those glass perfume bottles, cleaned them out, and took his sauce, put, them in the, sauce, put the sauce in the perfume bottles, and started going around to different cities around, selling his his little hot sauce, and it caught on like, like, like you wouldn't believe. Grocery stores started asking for it, and the next thing you know, he ended up, true story, with a little perfume-looking bottle of hot sauce called Tabasco sauce. It came from a man when everybody else was leaving and saying, this land is useless. He said, I'm gonna sow into this land and this Tabasco label is in 22 different languages, 175 nations. It's a five-generation organization. He's not a public company. It's privately owned by him and his family for five generations of millionaires. It sold in 2014. It sold over $200 million worth of those little peppers, salt, and vinegar. But can you imagine... That five generations would have missed the mega blessing, and this is natural, but apply it spiritually. Five generations of untold blessing because the father said, I'm in a famine, but I, my eyes are not on the ends of the earth like a fool. There's something right here that God can bless. If I'll sow in the land, in the same land, in the time of famine, I'll reap a hundredfold, and God will bless me and my descendants for generation after generation after generation. You got to clap better than that. Oh, hallelujah. I really want to say thank you for joining us this week. If you haven't already, make sure you click on the subscription button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people when you comment, when you give us your feedback. For more messages and inspirational materials, download the Jensen Franklin app, or you can head over to jensenfranklin.org. I want to thank all of you who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.